You'll see on the screen behind me, we've um, begun a new sermon series. Pastor Matt kicked us off last week called We Have Not Stopped. I absolutely love that name, by the way. I think it's a great series name. Uh, this series is focused on Paul and how in so many of his letters um, he shares this thought that we are focusing on through our month of prayer, as Pastor Matt said. So we're facilitating a few different things um, this month and focusing on this, we have not stopped. Paul um, is the writer of pretty much half of the New Testament. And so part of that, he writes letters to the churches and contained in those letters are a few prayers that we're focusing on for the next few weeks. So when Paul hears about the faith and the love of so many believers, he thanks God for the joy that it actually brings him. He thanks God that they have joy, but he also thanks God for the joy that it brings to him. And he commits to those churches that he's going to pray for them. He's going to pray for them more. He's going to continue to encourage them and uphold them in prayer. So church, if we follow Paul's example, then we must never overlook the importance of praying for others. This is why we have this month of prayer. This is why we are so focused on prayer. We can never overlook the importance of praying for one another. Can I encourage you today? I say this often, but I believe it. If something is true, then you continue to repeat it. And you are here today, if you take up a seat in Living Hope, it is a result of prayer. Somebody has prayed that you would sit in that seat. And I don't care what sort of background that you come from. I don't care if you were brought up in the church. I know that maybe it was your parents, maybe it was other church members, but somebody prayed for you to be here. So never overlook the importance of prayer. You are an answer to prayer today as you sit in church. For part one last week, Pastor Matt looked at Ephesians chapter one. He looked at one of Paul's prayers to the church in Ephesus, and this really gave us a solid foundation to work from because we know that Paul's prayers are so hopeful. They're so full of hope. And you'll see that as we read a few verses from one of them today. It's found in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 we begin at and it says and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Church, just allow me to pray as we begin to study God's word together. Lord, as has already been said, would your spirit anoint what we do here and now? God, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? God, would you teach our minds, Lord? God, as we would as we would dive into your word, would you bring us close to yourself? God, would you reveal something of yourself to us? We thank you for your word. All that it teaches us about you, all the promises that it has for us, the encouragement that it is to us. Lord, we just thank you today for your word. We pray that you'll bless it as we study it. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Now, one of the things that I love about these letters is the authenticity that comes across in Paul's writing to the church. I just think there's this sincerity about the words that he has penned. There's this genuine joy that Paul has. And do you know what his joy is actually found in? It's found in the success in the excellence of other believers. It's found in the successes of fellow believers. Paul is writing to churches and he's so full of joy because they're doing well. When, when Paul hears about their success, he rejoices with them. He, th- their success is his success. You know, Paul hears that the church is thriving, that the church is full of faith, that it's full of love. And Paul then delights in that. He's pleased for them. There just isn't enough of that today, church. There's just not enough of your success is my success. And my success is your success. There's not enough of that in life, really, but especially in the church There's just not really enough of, well, obviously not this church. Like, you know, this is the best church. But some of the other churches, there's not enough of that. This one's being recorded. Other churches, we love you. We're so glad that you're doing well. Church, we want to delight in each other's successes, just as Paul does in his letters. We should be cheering each other on in the faith. We should be delighted that other churches are opening their doors and the communities that they are in are welcoming new believers. We should be delighted when we see people come to faith and share their testimony with other believers. Your success is my success and my success is yours, church. Imagine if we were built like like that. That's what the church should look like. See, I think that there, we get bogged down sometimes with this competitiveness and this whole like looking at other people and what they have and you know, why is he getting to share and I'm not? Or looking at other people, they've only been saved five minutes. It's, it's easy to invite people to church when you've been saved five minutes. Or well, like me this week, why Ben have to be so good on Tuesday? Now I'm going to sound wick on Sunday. <laughs> Church, your success is mine and mine is yours. And I think Paul's attitude is this as well. I think it's, it's, it's reflected in his action. Paul's attitude is reflected in his action. And how do I know that? Well, the first part of this scripture that we want to highlight is this. Paul says... It is my prayer. He says, it is my prayer. See, we know that Paul wants the best for the church simply with those first few words. Because with those first four words, he's saying, I'm praying for you. He's letting them know that he's praying for them. We so easily could have called this series, It Is My Prayer. We love those four words. We have not stopped. It is my prayer. That little line there tells us, um, it tells us what Paul is going to pray after. See, that little line tells us that everything after it is what Paul is actually praying for. And do you know something really simple? Something really simple to think about. 
but true is this. We're only able to look at the prayers of Paul because Paul actually prayed. We're only able to have a series because Paul first prayed a series of prayers. It's as simple as that. Paul, yes, he was, he was a missionary. He was a church planter. He did incredible things for God, but he never forgot the basics. It is my prayer. He just lifts the church up with that. Church, can I remind you, this is one of my favorite quotes. It is not what you do occasionally that inspires others. It's what you do consistently. I see a consistency in Paul's letters. Sometimes I feel like we are broken records up here when we're saying this, but it's important, as I said earlier, if something is true, you don't just stop saying it. It's a fact, and the fact of the matter is we need reminded to pray. Because as believers, when we go on in our journey, you know, we do, we get bogged down in other things and things that are secondary and we forget about the fundamentals, church. It is foundational, it is fundamental that we pray. And that's why we keep saying it. And we make it easy for you here. You can come and you can pray with us. But listen, even outside of that, if that doesn't happen, if you're not physically here with us, we just need you to know that this is fundamental. This is, this is your walk with God. This is your relationship with God. Paul says, it is my prayer. And he lets the people know that he's praying. Can I encourage you as well? to pray for those that you're closest with today. I think sometimes we come, we'll come to the prayer meeting or maybe you're on our prayer page on Facebook and you sort of see the list and um, yes, they're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ and that's far enough, so we wanna lift them up in prayer. But I think sometimes when you're in your circle of people, often you just sort of forget to pray for each other. Can I encourage you today, whether that's your household, whether that's your circle of friends, whether that's your colleagues, can I encourage you to remember to pray for each other. Pray for your circle. Pray with each other. Let's cultivate a culture of prayer, church. We've went on about this for a long time, but it's because it's what we need. And I think we could ask a question at this point of Paul because I sort of said it there now, why tell people you're praying for them? Why does Paul do that? Why does he tell them what he is praying? Why not just pray? Why not just say a bedside prayer, so to speak? Why not just pray in prison and trust God to do what you're asking God to do without others knowing what you're praying for? Why does he do that? He obviously thinks it's a good thing to do. He must think that it's wise or he wouldn't have done it. I think one of the reasons for this, I think one of the reasons that Paul does this is to show that God is the one who is making these things happen. See, God is the decider. God is the definite cause. He is the doer. So if we just tell people what we're praying for them, because we think in, in the telling of them that they will get encouraged and find hope, and that's in fact the reason for telling them as well, 
then I think we probably don't fully understand prayer. Or maybe we're just doing prayer a bit of an injustice, if that's all it is. Yes, they should be encouraged. But that's not the reason that we're praying. I know that when people tell me that they're praying for me, it's an encouragement. But that's not the reason necessarily that we pray. We're praying because we believe in the God who acts in response to prayer. So Paul tells them that he is praying and what he is praying so that they will know that Paul is fully convinced that at every point, in every prayer, and in every circumstance, what he is asking for, God is the one who can make happen. When he tells the church his prayer, he isn't boasting about himself. He's pointing to his God who can. He's pointing to the God that causes him to pray. None of this comes without a relationship with God. See, earlier in the chapter, we read in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And it says this, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Church, he tells them that he thanks God for their partnership in the gospel because that communicates to them that God produces that partnership, not them. God produces that partnership in the gospel. God is the one who causes that to happen. God is the one who forms these things. So when we're praying for one another, we aren't simply encouraging one another, we're reminding one another that our place is here because we have been placed here. And if we are to sustain this prayer life, this culture of prayer, then I believe we'll see this, that your love may abound that our love would abound, that our love would grow, that it would develop. And that obviously it says in the passage, more and more, it's continuous. This is the first thing that Paul tells them here that he's praying for. He's praying for love. The first thing. I shared a few thoughts with the young adults last Friday night about how our love should develop because we were looking at the few verses just before this where Paul actually tells the church that he holds them in his heart. Paul is like the expert in love. Paul wrote this part of 1 Corinthians 13 that talks all about love and he starts it by saying this. He says if he could speak every language on earth and in heaven but he didn't love others that it would just be noise. He says that if he had spiritual gifts, if he knew all there was to know, if his faith was unbelievable, but he didn't love others, he said that he would be nothing. This guy wrote half the New Testament and he says without love, he would be nothing. 
He describes love as being patient and kind, never being jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He says that love never gives up and never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures everything. And he finishes that part of 1 Corinthians by saying that all of your possessions, all of your talents, all your gifts, everything that you have to boast of will become useless one day, but love will last forever. Paul knows all about love. And so Paul knows that the church needs to get this right. And so that's what he's praying for first, that your love may abound. And then out of love comes the next part that we look at, which is what is excellent. See, Paul isn't just praying for love for the church. He's praying for that first. He's first praying for love, but it all links because he's praying for love with knowledge and all discernment. And then it says, so that. So he's praying, with, he's praying for love so that they may approve what is excellent. It's all links. It's all woven together. And we already know that Paul understands the truth about love. Church, can I tell you today that love without knowledge and discernment is a parody of itself? We absolutely need both. We can't have one or the other. Earlier on, we asked the question, why would Paul tell the church what he's praying for? And we know that part of that was to show God as the link between all things. But I think another part is this. Paul wants to show the church what they should pursue. In, in telling the church what he's praying for, he wants to show them what they should be pursuing. But why should he want them to pursue what God will cause? That's an interesting question. I think the answer is found in the next chapter, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, he's so affectionate to his church. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What these verses tell us is they tell us that we have a part in it all. They tell us our part in all of this. If you work out your own salvation, as it says there in the scripture, if you work that out, then that's your will in action and your work taking place. But Paul says that underneath your willing, underneath your working is the foundation in that it's actually God doing the willing and doing the working. You see, God is the ultimate cause. None of this happens without him. We have a part to play, but he is the foundation. It begins with God and it ends with God. 
So we have this part to play, but Paul tells the church that they should pursue love, knowledge, discernment, what is excellent, purity, blamelessness, righteousness, glory, and praise of God. Paul doesn't say that you should be lazy with your will. He says that you work out your salvation and God will be the decisive cause. God will always be the doer. But he's working through you. I think as Christians, we read words like excellent and we become a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable because it probably, it probably reminds us of something that feels a bit worldly. If that makes sense, I think we become uncomfortable because we feel like we're striving for something that's a bit outside of church, so to speak. But if we want love to abound so that we can approve what is excellent, then excellence has to be a reflection of Christ. We want love to abound so that we can approve what is excellent. In order to do this, it requires knowledge. It requires loving. It requires both. We can't have one without the other. Knowledge and discernment, they come with this love. It's a package. You must have love. You can't depend solely on knowledge and discernment. It needs to be both. See, doing what is excellent, church, follows on from this. And therefore, doing what is excellent is doing what is Christ-like. We need truth-saturated love. And we need love-saturated truth. Church, we need both. Paul prays for love with knowledge and discernment so that they may approve what is excellent. And when we can do that, when we can carry that out, we're actually glorifying God rather than, our, rather than ourselves because we can't do excellence unless we're filled with the fruit of righteousness and that comes through Christ. That's what we've read today. So I want to finish with this the final part of those verses say to the glory and praise of God church we get direct access I mean when you think about who God is and what our finite minds believe about him well even we know that he breathes all of this into existence and yet there's an invitation there and it's open. He invites us to come and commune with him. Is there anybody else who creates like our God? Is there any other king that you have total access to? It just does not happen. But when we're filled with the fruit of righteousness, it comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through Christ Jesus. I want to finish with this. All the activities of life should be pursued with the aim of glorifying God. I think with these verses, 
Paul is pointing to God. He's showing the church what they should pursue, but he's also showing them how they should pursue these things. See, Paul didn't just list the things to pursue. He wove them together in these wonderful verses that all just fit together with such logic. You see, he said there's a connection in having knowledge and discernment and being a loving person. And when you have those things, it's so that you may approve what's excellent. These things aren't separate events. It's a result of love with knowledge and discernment. Church, God is sovereign. So we depend on him. And when we pray, we rely on God's answer to prayer. We do that by just simply continuing to pray. We're relying on the God who answers our prayers. Listen, all of these things Paul tells the church. He tells them that he's praying for them. He tells them what he is praying for. He's telling them what they should pursue. He's telling them how they should pursue it. But Paul does all of these things in a way that doesn't bring glory to himself. He points to Christ. You see, that is ultimately what we are here for. You are here to bring glory to God. Everything that we do, every, every act of love that we have, every kind word that we say, every excellent behavior that we take part in, it's all to glorify him. We can't do any of it ourselves. There's a few things that I think Living Hope is excellent at. I think our welcome is excellent. I love when people come into church and it's just the same thing you hear all the time. They just feel like they belong. It's so welcoming. It feels like a family. I think we're excellent at that, but don't get me wrong. I can't boast of that because I worship the God who did it before me and who will do it after me. We worship the God who is excellence. None of this happens without him. So everything that we do, the part that we play, everything that we take part in, it is to bring glory to God. So listen, when you carry all of this out this week, when you're praying for your loved ones, when you're abounding, when you're growing, developing in love, when you're seeking knowledge and discernment, Remember that yes, all of these things build us up, but they are all to glorify him. If we don't do that, then we don't do it right, church. We're going to close with a song. And we simply just want to give God praise for who he is. And so that is what we are going to do. We're going to thank God for the breath in our lungs. For the heart that beats in our chest. For everything that we do that is excellent. We are going to give praise to God. Because he is worthy of our praises. Church can I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father. We simply say great are you Lord. Lord we we lift your name up in this place. And we thank you for our place. Not only here but in heaven God. We thank you for all that you're carrying out here, all that will be carried out here. And we thank you, God, that you use us to bring glory to yourself.